note to the listeners, episode 13 contains some explicit language. Hungry by Michelle Lee. John thumbed the channel button on the remote control. Then, on my last film shoot, I was so fortunate to meet Dr. Armand of Le France Labs in Paris, and I am so privileged to offer his breakthrough serum today for the astounding price of $39.95. It combines the Earth's own minerals with the power of your own skin cells to take away at least 10 years thumb. Close your eyes and invite God inside your soul. Embrace the miraculous goodness that is Him. Feel Him heal your wounds like a ray of light and you will wake up whole. Thumb. The question was, thought John, as the second-hand zenith powered off, its glow dissipating into the dark of his bedroom, would God come inside and take away ten of his years for the astounding price of thirty-nine ninety-five? But wait, there was more. Maybe if God could find a way to squeeze past shrapnel too small to remove and scar tissue too thick to fade, John would ask how a ray of light could rocket from a tank shell blast, tunnel through a femur, and leave a man legless. Ask if signing up for his embrace of miraculous goodness was anything like signing up at the army recruiter. Ask why he hadn't been stationed in Paris, where the words whole like a whole person and whole like a hole in your leg didn't sound the same. He glanced at the clock on his nightstand, 5.35. Maybe he'd just grab God by the collar and ask why the fuck he hadn't slept like a normal person in 270 days. Glow gone, John swung his good leg over the side of the bed. He swore as his stump tangled in the sheets, but then, with moves of arms and hands far more practiced than he cared to think about, he settled into the wheelchair parked alongside. He thought about a bowl of cereal. Over the last month or so, he'd subsisted on the stuff, after realizing that, one, it was a meal in a bowl, and two, the pittance of a government check doled out to a mere staff sergeant would go further with General Mills. He didn't bother hitting any light switches on his way through the one-bedroom shotgun house to the front kitchen. He barely had any furniture to watch out for, just a brown table he'd grab from Goodwill for two bucks. It was big enough for his wheelchair to slide under, for a pile of bills, and a laptop. He'd gotten that free last Christmas from some family that found his name on a tree at the Kmart. Happy holidays. Love the Smiths. The box, bowl, and spoon were on the edge of the counter where John always left them. He couldn't reach the cabinets above the sink, but more than that, he figured, why bother with pretense? He lived alone. He ate Cheerios, the original yellow box kind, five times a day, rinsed the bowl and spoon after the last round, and left them out to dry. He lifted the box and shook. He knew by the sound there was barely enough for a bowl, then saw the note he taped to the box after last night's dinner. Need. Damn. Buses in this part of town didn't start running until 6.30 a.m. It would have to be the jiffy on the corner, a five-minute trip if he avoided all the huge cracks in the sidewalk. It would be harder to avoid the crack heads who slept where they fell, but they never messed with him. You got the crazy eye, man, one of them said the last time he headed down the block. When he left the house, the sun was staggering over the evergreen apartments. There weren't any trees, just a line of green dumpsters that smelled like urine and rotting meat. Next to the evergreen sat another small brown house like his. John squinted at the small figure kneeling near the front stoop. He'd seen the kid before. Frizzy hair the color of rust, wide face, some kind of t-shirt, and ratty pants. Six? Ten? He didn't know. Stacy or Daisy or something? He didn't know that either, because the woman who usually yelled for her, probably her mom, brayed like a crow. The girl stared at him when he passed, and he nodded, but nothing else. In this neighborhood, he could have been mistaken for any number of sickos. He might have changed a lot since Afghanistan, but sicko he wasn't. He got to the jiffy in five, 
No one else was there except the cashier. He tried not to glance at the lady on his way to the back of the store. Once she caught his eye, she'd never shut up about how brave she thought he was, how she'd seen Born on the Fourth of July and Forrest Gump so many times and just sympathized so much. How she was an insomniac, too, and that's why she took the night shift. Then she'd lean and show him the top part of her breasts. He'd try not to gag. Cinnamon twirls, beef jerky, goldfish. Three boxes of shredded wheat. Shredded wheat. Shit. No Cheerios, no flakes, not even honey crunches of something or other. He grabbed a box and wheeled back up front. A five from his pocket went on the counter. He was about to push away. Couldn't sleep? The cashier asked and leaned over the glass. He caught a whiff of smoke, bubblegum, and some kind of musk. This is it. He raised the box and moved toward the door. Thanks. The sun had streaked the sky orange by the time he got back to the 700 block of Mason. Twenty yards or so ahead, he could see that girl was still kneeling. You're the guy who lives in Mrs. Jackson's old house. Her voice carried through the morning even before he reached her. Yeah. My mommy says you're pretty nice, she called as he came closer, and that you're a hero or something. He stopped rolling at the word hero. Isn't it too early to be on the sidewalk? No. Do your parents know you're out here? No. He'd known even before her lips pressed together with kid attitude that his question was stupid. What are you doing then? She stood. Her blue polka dot pajamas barely covered her lanky legs and a few small bruises. She carried a doll by one arm. It had hair like her and nothing on but pink plastic skin. When my daddy was fighting with my mommy, he said that he wanted a big, strong son, maybe a football player or a soldier even, but he ended up with me instead. She cocked her head to one side. So I've been praying for change. Oh? He wondered how long she'd been praying. Do you believe something will happen? Yeah, don't you? Hey, is that cereal? She pointed toward the box tucked between his hip and arm of the chair. Yes. My grandma likes that kind. She says it helps unclog her system. Stacy or Daisy wandered over to him and stared down at his stump. What happened to your leg? I was a soldier and a bomb hit my truck. Did it hurt a lot? Yes. Can you walk at all? Not easily. Is there a leg under there? Not much of one. Can I poke at it? No. Did you ever see anyone die? Yes. Me too. Do you pray? No. She seemed to be satisfied with the rapid-fire questions because she stopped and hugged her doll. Why do you think my daddy wants me to be a big, strong son? John looked at her. Her spine was straight, straight as he'd seen since the core. She looked taller than kid size all of a sudden. Because he's an ass. Mommy calls him that sometimes, with a hole at the end. She mouthed the word asshole and smiled, showing him a half-tooth. I'm gonna go now. Done praying? Just for now, I'm hungry. Stacy or Daisy swung her doll once around, her thin brow suddenly worried. Do you think I'll have to start praying all over again? John shook his head. No. She nodded. Just checking. She lifted her doll and toggled it in the air between them. See you. John watched her bolt up the steps and yank open the door. When it slammed behind her, a light came on in the kitchen. When all remained quiet, he aimed for home. Hello there. Welcome to No Extra Word, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker-Dersh. I'm your producer and editor. Last week's episode was Step Carefully about where to put your feet down, and today's episode is Mind the Gap, Filling in the Spaces. Some of those spaces are 
very literal and some of those spaces are very figurative. And Michelle Lee's story, Hungry, has both. It's been a real delight getting to know Michelle. One of the one of my favorite things about doing this is getting to create this community of writers and getting to know everybody. And the process of getting to know Michelle and reading her story on the air has been a lot of fun. And it's a very powerful piece of writing. I the voice of the cynic versus the voice of the innocent and how those two interplay and who in the end really is innocent and who in the end really is not is always a really interesting question to explore in literature. Coming up next, the story sealed about another very literal gap, and Jeremy Schnee is going to read his own writing for us. He wins the Bravery Award today for being the very first writer to share their own work in their own voice on the air. I know reading their own work out loud is a lot for a lot of authors, and a lot of people really hate the sound of their own voice, but there is something very cool about hearing an author read their work in their own words. So that is what Jeremy's going to do. This is Jeremy Schnee with Seal. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week on No Extra Words. Seal. I finally reached the end of another school year and wanted to go to the Parker Hill to watch carnival trucks come in on 163, but my dad needed help with a project. He said to meet him downtown. He didn't specify where, but the grotto at the far end to the firehouse where homes again resumed was only four blocks long. He sat in the town hall shade, the only building around tall enough to have an elevator. He wore coveralls, leaned on a white bucket. I rode my bike up and he said I should have gone home first to change into older clothes. What I had on would have to do, though. We walked to the corner that had the metal post marquee. It mostly listed news of coming weddings and BBQs. My dad kneeled here, and part of my job was to watch so we didn't get in the way of people coming and going to the market. He handed me a spade. We're going to do work right here, I asked. They want to replace this whole stretch, he said. That would cost thousands. He tapped the spade on the sidewalk and looked from corner to corner. I knew this spot. A gap in slabs had grown a hair wider with each passing year. A notorious hazard. I'd fallen victim to many skin knees while running to or from the store. One girl even broke her arm while skating. Adults even tripped on occasion. I'd heard my parents and neighbors discussing this issue. Most of them thought it a waste of taxpayer money to replace a whole block of sidewalk for one crack. Other people wanted the town to have an overall newer appearance. You want to fill it in, I said. The bucket had a shadow in the lower half. It was mixed cement. What if we get in trouble? We won't. He showed me how to scoop, generous amounts since it was a big space. I didn't get it. My dad wasn't exactly active in the community. He worked as a mechanic a short drive and larger city away. He watched my games, but never coached or led scouts or anything like that. A car approached, and the driver must have seen us. It slowed. My dad waved as it passed. A block down, it pulled into the gas station, and without looking up from his work, he said, Ding! at the perfect moment. Good timing, I said. No gas stations use bells anymore, you know that? The stones in the cement were rough and grated on the spade. I filled my side. Then I hesitated when a man rounded the corner. Hello, my dad said. About time someone fills in that damn crack. The man went around us. I knew him. Old man Howard, who lived in the greenhouse, and yelled if we stepped on his grass. That guy never talks, my dad said. Just yells and yelled even when I was a kid. My dad had been yelled at by old man Howard as well. I couldn't wait to tell my friends. I tried to level the cement the same as on my dad's side. 
He set his spade down and showed me how to stay flush, using the other slabs for guidance. Is this the crack where you hid your cigarette butts? Just a few, he said. And remember, your mother doesn't know you know that story. Like I would after summer, he once waited on this corner for the school bus to take him to junior high. The nearby buildings were brown and gray. The big brick boxes had stood for a hundred years. Nice to lean against, they also blocked wind and the view from parents on quiet mornings. My dad once said that was the best part about waiting for the bus. Used to get cold as hell in winter here. Your Uncle Hank used to say waiting on those winter mornings made him lose his hair early. I touched my head and my dad chuckled. I forgot about the cement on my hands. A gray speck bobbed above my eye. He said not to touch it or it'd make it worse. We'd have to cut the strand when we got home. I stood at the spot many times, he said. You will too. It had only taken minutes to fill in the space, and my dad said I did good work on my side. Along the dark slabs of the path, sun-blotted and marked by divots and scuffs, we sat guard. Do you think this will save the town money? Can't hurt. They might tear the whole stretch of sidewalk out anyhow. Might not. A lot of people are going to see what we did, aren't they? They will, he said. He told me I could go watch the carnival trucks coming in now. I didn't get up. I leaned back on the other side of the bucket. Whether the patch lasted a long time or little, the cement was already beginning to pale in color, to settle at the edges, and to solidify.